Tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome. This is a New Zealand Wine Podcast, and I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for joining. Today we're speaking with Hans and Therese Herzog from Hans Herzog Wines in Marlborough, New Zealand. It's a great story of love, passion for wine, a sense of place, and one that spans the globe. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it, and if you need to know anything further about today's podcast or any of the other podcasts, just look us up online, the New Zealand Wine Podcast. But right now, let's speak with Hans and Therese. Hans and Therese, welcome. Thank you for coming along today. Thank uh, you. And Mark, thank you for being here also. So, uh, Herzog, how, what's, what's a good starting point for your story? Obviously, it didn't start in New Zealand. No. <laughs> As everybody will hear, uh, our accent is still quite strong. And it comes from Switzerland, uh, where actually Hans's family has been growing wine since uh, the 16th century. And funny enough, whilst we are here in New Zealand, Hans has still, has still been born on the same land back in Switzerland, where they have grown these wines for so many uh, centuries. And that's the story. Uh, it's really the story of the love for wine. A story of a love for wine. Yeah, fantastic. And so what, what was part of the story back home before you came to New Zealand? What was? Um um, Hans wasn't really ready to take over what has been traditional wine growing back in Switzerland. And when we met, uh, I... I quickly became fond of wine because wine was really Hans's first laugh, I mm-hmm, think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe me the second. <laughs> and so I better make sure I uh, I embrace wine, but that that is easy. So when I met when I met Hans, I was twenty two, and uh, I learned all about wine, and I also learned that Hans wanted to have a different vineyard um, near Zurich, mm-hmm. um, where. Uh, he could grow different grape varieties. Okay. So not the tradition, you know, when you take over your family's business, it's always uh, heavily loaded with, with yeah. your, this is your how customer. It's been done. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we started a, a new winery in the Zurich wine country. And that was also very convenient because we had, it was a startup, if you like, uh, and uh, we needed an income. We established new vineyards, so there was no, no income for a few years. Hans at that time was the chief winemaker of a big wine merchant in Zurich. Okay. They also had their own vineyards, but Hans would finish wines from all over Europe. And I think that gave him the confidence to work with all these different varieties, grape varieties. Right, okay. So at that time, we to- we're talking about the end of 70s, Hans would get barrels from uh, first growth in Bordeaux and finish these wonderful Bordeaux. He would go, he would get barrels from Burgundy, he would get, get truckloads from Italy and Spain. So all different kinds of wine which they would then finish in the winery and bottle and uh, sell under the different labels. Right. But uh, you really missed the vineyard, didn't you? Yeah, for me it was always have to go out sometimes in the sunshine, in the fresh air, and see the sun and, and the wines they grow. 
Otherwise, you are in a cellar, dark down, in a, in, in a darkness and a coolness. And for me, it was always hard to be down there for, for days, you know. Right. Always had to go up to the sun and, and eat the sun and, yeah. and, and the plants right. and the environment. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So Hans told me that, uh, you know, he won all these medals. Obviously, we're talking about a big wine merchant and, and uh, medals on the bottles are, you know, a good means selling something. argument mm -hmm. means something. Mm -hmm. Didn't mean to Hans. Mm -hmm. But he said to me, I have to be again at the beginning. Uh, we can't, I can't make a great wine when I can't, uh, when I can't control the vineyard. Right. And um, in the meantime, I made my own career. And we were thinking that if I continue with my career and bring the money in, then we could pursue the dream of our own vineyard where we could plant what we wanted. And we did that in the outskirts of Zurich and established a few vineyards from scratch. And whilst it was forbidden, uh, we shared or we had shared the same laws like in France that you could only grow certain grape varieties at certain places. Mm -hmm. But Hans was not interested in Müller-Turgau and stuff like that. So we would plant Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc and all these things which we were not allowed to. And obviously it has been a huge success. Typically, you know, Hans, with his extremely low-yield philosophy, trying to do just the very best. And it became really a huge success. We built the winery, uh, or I should say we didn't build it, we leased it from, from actually the government. And um, everything was actually really honky-dory, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Hans is a very unruly man, and he still believed he could do better wine if he would have a perfect climate. By that time, I have given up my career in the computer industry, and because we also have taken over a restaurant which was on the property we rented or we leased, and he became a Michelin star, and so that became a success in itself. And obviously we sold a lot of our wine then suddenly to, through these restaurants. And, uh, but it was also, of course, uh, quite a lot of work. But wine and food goes together. And Hans and I, you know, even when we had not much money, we would travel with the Go Mio, Guide Michelin, and went to restaurants. <laughs> Just for the weekend, we would drive somewhere to France or Italy, for a good meal and a, and a good wine list. Well, kind of in the background, what happened is that my brother immigrated to New Zealand. And Hans said, New Zealand, that's really an interesting country. I think they have even started to grow wine. And so in summer 81, 82, we did our first trip together as girlfriend and boyfriend uh, to New Zealand. And I remember we went to north of Auckland, wasn't it? Henderson, yeah. And that was where we <coughs> actually saw the first vines and also saw the fantastic climates New Zealand had. And then we drove down to Marlborough. And I think you were hitched from the first, first time when you saw Marlborough. Because I remember you went to look at real estate offices, what the prices were. And Hans said... Wow, for 100,000 Swiss francs, we could buy half the valley. This is so cheap here. And I think this is actually the best of New Zealand. And was that maybe one, one two vineyards? But you couldn't really talk about the wine region. 
now there was only Corbins and the Montana, uh, maybe Hunters was the start there. Okay. Even Claudia wasn't there at this time. Right. No. Yeah. It was a, for me a great area because it was just hot, hot summertime, you know, like, like now we started over Christmas in the year. And for me, it was just the place to be actually once mm. in my life, but it mm. uh, <laughs> was far away at this time. Yeah. yeah. Did the wines that, that were being made by Corbins in Montana, did you try them? Did they give you any sense of what might be possible? This time we have wine only in, in a cask. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't much around okay. to buy so that's in a the no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We playing card, had barbecue on, um, in the motels, whatever you stayed, and uh, to, to drink this wine with a tap underneath, you know. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah it was far away from, uh, from the day. You know? Yeah, yeah. So quite quite a different view from flying in today where you just go over, yeah. you know, just uh, vineyard after vineyard. Totally. And, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the quality of the wine did deter us. Uh, we, we, we could see the potential. So in the so obviously the the, the climate you you saw that the climate was good and the terrain as well did yeah. you yeah. sort of yeah, think that was yeah okay and because when you had the first time we were still lived in, in Switzerland in Zurich and had our own restaurant and vineyard uh, we bought also wine from the first wine comes from Cloudy Bay in nineteen eighty seven from mm-hmm. the first vintages came to, to, to Switzerland and imported them right. And I was so surprised at these wines. And also, Temata sent the wine over the Chardonnay and okay. the Coloraine at this time. And I was surprised was the quality to mm-hmm. get here from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So every four years, we would go to New Zealand. And by that time, Hans tended to really you know, visit the kind of emerging wine regions. Mm-hmm. And... So you, so you went to other other regions as well yes, and had a look all, at all of them. Okay, all okay, of them. Yep, yep. And they weren't really the region you know we we talk about today no. or we see today. Yeah, but it just it was always that Hans had this dream and and he always told me, you know, New Zealand that is such huge potential. If it would be closer by, I really would love to have a vineyard there and to do something really great. But I was, you know successfully saying this is really not sensible uh, you can't have two vineyards two wineries at both ends of the world and I knew that Hans is a stickler for quality and you know a few months uh, investing in to making great wine is just not enough mm. so we were traveling you know about five six times to New Zealand but meanwhile Hans was convinced that Marlborough is one of the best wine regions in the world because we went there now more often we talked to the farmers, we talked to the people and he said honestly I think that's a really amazing wine region, the people don't even know the potential of that region but this dry climate, this enormous amount of sunshine just if you compare, Marlborough has an average of two and a half thousand sunshine hours where else Bordeaux, a wine region we love, and we, we love the wines of, is about 2,000. So uh, that should tell you something. Mm. Now, Marlborough has very cold nights, but from a viticulturing perspective, that's just perfect. It keeps the acidity up, and that's very rare because most regions where you grow wine, they warm 
uh, but they also warm during the night. Stay warm, yeah. yeah. And that gives different flavors, not that interesting flavors, mm-hmm. but that extreme difference between day and night that enhances actually aromas and flavors. Then you have nearly no rainfall, little rainfall during the growing season, during the ripening season. And then you have some amazing terroirs. So the last time, I think it was around 90, um, Hans started to really talk seriously with real estate agent. And he also started seriously look for the right terroir. And he found that Rapaura Road, it's also called the Golden Mile, that's really the place where you want to be. I was still adamant that this is not sensible, that I couldn't see how we could probably manage that. But in 94, Hans was not to stop. He said, look, I have this dream to make a real great wine. And I ca- what I do in Switzerland, it's okay, but it's not great because the climate is just not great. If you give me a great terroir, a great climate, I promise you to do a great wine. So uh, in 94, we went back to Marlborough and Hans only wanted to be in Marlborough. Right. So Hans, maybe you say you wanted to be exactly uh, there where we are today and why? So you, so you, so you, you went to Marlborough, you had a look through uh, trips later on around other, other locations, but Marlborough was the one that, that yeah. stuck for you. Yeah, we started actually in Nelson, and this time it was more on the hillside, more clay. And I come from the area on hillside, worked on hillside and terraces. Mm-hmm. And I'm clay. Not, yeah, and clay. So I didn't want to be there anymore. So I'm looking more for gravel, sandy soil, like in the Medoc. Mm-hmm. So go a Merlot, Cap Safe, Cap Four, that's the right place to be. Mm-hmm. Hot, hot soil, the different places and different layers of soil in, in this part. And I found this near the river, the Waio River. Mm-hmm. That's actually the best place to be. Further up to the valley, not to the sea. So for me, this place we are now is the perfect place to be for these grape varieties. Even for Monte Bocciano, uh, for the Tempranillo, the Spanish grape variety, Nebbiolo. All varieties have actually worked with them back in Europe before. Mm-hmm. Want to go them there and show the world actually what we can do in New Zealand. Yeah. So, so it's just well, not, it's not only a cool climate, Marlborough is also a hot climate. They mm-hmm. may do it in the right way in the vineyard, low yielding, look after the wines, and don't think commercial because I do very low yield, go down to one kilo less than one kilo per wine in average. Yeah. And you can grow actually everything there. So, for me, Monte Bocciano was actually a key to show the people, when you get this grape right, you are ripe, so you can plant everything in what you want, actually. Right, okay. Yeah. And, and just on the, the varietals that you're, you're now producing, what was your progression through them? So did, you, did you start with, um, start with uh, Cab Save? We, we started with the Cab Save, and then both Cab Save and Cab for Merlot and Malbec mm-hmm. to make this Bordeaux blend called Speed of Marlborough, yep. and also the Monte Pucciano. So that was quite early on. In the, the same time, it right. in 96, yeah. Okay. okay. And so that would have been quite unusual. Yeah, for yeah very well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I was the first in New Zealand with uh, Monte Pochano. Right. Okay. Maybe we should tell this story. When we went to the nurseries, obviously 
People always ask us, did you bring in all these grape varieties? I said, have you gone through math at Auckland ever? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, we had to go to the nurseries. And Hans, of course, now he had the best climate in the world. Mm. And he was thinking he has the best soil in the world. He wanted to see what actually he could do. So Bordeaux was, as he said, first laugh. But then the nursery said, oh, we have something else, but we can't pronounce it. And we don't know what it is. <laughs> and so, you know, we turned the paper and Montepulciano? Oh, is that how you call it? Yes, but this is a very late ripening grape variety from the eastern part of Italy, from mm. the Marche Abruzzo. I interrupt you. Because I talked with the guy from the nursery, he showed me uh, this list with Montepulciano, Sanchovese, special mark. Right. So I asked him what it means. Montepulciano or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember my strainers and, and post and he written Montepulciano Sanchovese yeah. so, because nobody knows really sure. yeah. and then about five years later a lady comes her ampelograph yeah. she tasted all the, la- the leaves and mm-hmm. they say oh that's real uh, Montepulciano right okay yeah. <laughs> so you knew what you had yeah exactly <laughs> we didn't actually know actually what was it but yeah. similar uh, similar in the leaves you can't see uh, them quick when you see them next to each other that right. look similar right okay and even yeah. the the bunches of grapes are similar. Right. Sanchovese and Montepulciano. So for me, it was hard to... Yeah. <laughs> Five years judge. later, you knew what you had. Yeah, yeah. But also we planted Viognier yeah. at that time. Yeah. And I think the only other one who had some wines were James Milton. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the North Island. And we planted Pinot Gris. And you may don't believe me, but I think we were actually the first, at least in the South Island. Because I remember when we released the first Pinot Gris, it was like, people were like crazy. So we, when would this have been approximately? In 2000. 2000, yeah. right. When, okay. he comes, yeah. when he came to the market. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's changed a little bit since then, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Very, you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> and, and also, so Hans has always been a trailblazer actually for a few grape varieties. But this is the one we planted first. Um, what else was from the exotic ones? We had about nine. And anyway, 98 was the first vintage with the Montepulciano and we were quite blown away mm-hmm. and then I think you put it in a in barrique mm-hmm. and so just sorry on that so so how long do you wait after you've planted the vines to, to for for um this was a, a little first uh, yield about two two three years two three years yeah okay. yeah yeah but this was the first little yield 98 um fantastic year like every year but it was quite a hot year and we put it in the barrel and Hans said, oh, we leave it there. Um, let's, you know, that's a mine which has so much structure. It needs a bit of, uh, of age. But in the meantime, whilst we were concentrating on the spirit of Marlborough, which is our, our border blend, the name, obviously, the spirit mm. to draw us to New Zealand and that vineyard, um, the Monty was um, maturing in these barrels, but when we tried it from time to time, we, we you know, we couldn't believe how amazing that wine was. But for Hans, it was actually something else. It opened the doors and he said, this is my green card. <laughs> now I can grow everything in between. Right, okay. So okay. he started to plant many more different grape varieties. And now, until now, he top-crafted a lot of different grape varieties to other grape varieties. Okay. So that we still have the old root system, 20-year-old wines, but... Uh, he does some yeah, pretty crazy things, really, with grape varieties. 
and that's and that's still on the original land that you yeah. you started with, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Okay. And okay. maybe that's actually a good question because it's all size and quality has quite a lot. Uh, to do with each other. So obviously there's a very long story. In um, in 94 we found that place exactly where Hans wanted to be, next to the river. Stan- sandy, stony uh, soils, really poor, arid land, hot, a additional great microclimate made by the river. The river in summer, when you need the heat, is mostly dry. Mm-hmm. And it's a 500-meter-wide riverbed. And the m- prevailing wind is the northwesterly. The wind comes over that hot riverbed, heats itself up, hits our vineyard, and warms the stone in the vineyard, but also the grapes. So we have this 1.5 degree more than our neighboring vineyard. Wow, okay. So that's enormous amount mm. for you know a small distance. Mm. And this amount gives us that heat that additional heat we need to make these uh, late-ripening grape varieties. But, of course, it's all about yield levels as well and about what you do in the vineyard. And you have to work the vineyard really hard when you want to make grape wine naturally. Mm. Mm. It's not only low yield. It's a lot of work, manual work. And it needs a lot of passion and a lot of, actually, money as well because it's labor. And if we would have grown, which we probably should have, if we would have been in the money, um, then, you know, we maybe we we would have had to have a second label or something which would, uh, you know, which would have given us a better income. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, concentrating on great wine is a very expensive uh, mission. So those, those natural methods, have you been doing that since the very beginning? Yes, that, that's always been how how you've gone about yes. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And all our estate is now organic since two thousand and eleven. Certified, it's certified. Yes. natural, but it's yeah. yes. And we do everything in our winery. We have our own winery. We do our own bottling line. Everything done in our premises. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's and not usual for New Zealand. You know, the most of the wineries have bottled the wine somewhere in a, in a bottling line or Marlboro bottles that do the, go the yeah. most time for, for Marlboro. Yeah. Um, we have only a small unit, but we're doing all, all on our own. Yeah. Because we do so many, so, so many co- uh, varieties and so small quantities of wine, maybe 300 liters of this variety, and you can't go in a bottling line. It's not working like this. Mm. Mm. So we do everything on our own. Right, okay. And so, so back then when you started... Um, growing naturally was quite innovative as well, was it? In the, in but the we industry. didn't really think about that. See, maybe it is because we come from a very small country where land is extremely valuable. You pay by the square meter, so you look after your land. Also because Hans's family was always, probably you d- today you would say biodynamic, but not in the sense of biodynamic. They were just working with the moon calendar. And everything was natural. And Hans's mother had the most amazing vegetable gardens. So I think we just grew up in a time where, and also my family, we all had our own gardens, our own vegetable, where things still were natural. Maybe be- because we were both uh, really growing up on the countryside. Um, yeah, but for us it was 
not that we have chosen to be natural. We just have not learned to be no. industrial. So it's just the way you'd always mm. yeah. done yeah. it. Mm. We were, so maybe we should say, so we bought these lands, and I said to Hans that that will be really hard on, you know, two vineyards. And Hans was adamant he wants to have his own winery. If you want to make great wines, you have to oversee every every step. You know, you can't ha- you can't make a great wine and really carry your grapes around, truck them around, uh, wait for the press somebody, you know, uh, until the, the fruit is pressed. You know, great wines, you need to control every single step. And this is how we did it back in Switzerland. This is how the famous wineries do it in Burgundy, the famous wineries do it in Bordeaux, everywhere You've, you really taste great wine. They have control over the vineyard and over the winemaking process. There is no other way. There are no shortcuts. And in Europe, we learn that you can't make money in one generation. It takes two. Mm. So, see, we may were even a little bit naive when we came to New Zealand because we didn't have that kind of entrepreneurial and more farming um, idea of actually wanting to get a return on investment. Right. It was about making the wine. It wasn't just yeah. about the love mm. for wine mm. and having found paradise to make mm. it. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And um, and so what, what are some of the other things that have that have happened along along the way for you? Because obviously you established a restaurant there as well. and Yes, and actually it started that it really didn't work out, the two vineyards and the two wineries and the Michelin started a restaurant in Switzerland and the flying back and forward. And at that time, you know, you had to stop five times until you got to yeah. Auckland. Yeah. It was all a bit different, but not so, not so convenient as it is today. And so we were sitting together and I said to Hans, I think we have to make decisions here and they may be hard. I just don't see how these can go on because I was staying... Uh, practically 100% in Switzerland and looked after the vineyard and winery whilst Hans was away and and the restaurant and then flew to Marlborough in over Christmas so we could spend Christmas together and then again in February when we closed the restaurant but I felt this is really no life and I know you know this love for wine but I was actually thinking maybe we should give up uh, New Zealand just it it's a it's a real shame, but I think it's not working out. And then Hans said, yeah, he was ring, re- thinking really hard, and, um, and, and he, he agrees it's, it's, it's not sustainable, but he wants to give up Switzerland. <laughs> Do the, the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> that could have been a bit of conflict. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think the laugh for wine became also the laugh between two people, and the dream of one of these people, and I did understand. Uh, I did understand what what Hans meant. How important uh, this wine and and Marlborough and the vineyard has become for him. And I was thinking, you know, it is really great when you can prove something in your life, and you really have a passion for something, and you know you you can make it. You you actually be there and you can do what you always dream, dreamed and you had everything around you to make the dream coming true and I felt awful if I would have been the one to destroy that dream. 
So that's where we'll leave Therese and Hans's story for now. Be sure to check in shortly for part two. And if you'd like to listen to any other of our New Zealand Wine podcasts, just look us up online. And while you're there, head across to podcast.nz where you might be interested in food, family and friends with Vanessa Baxter. Thanks again for listening in. Hey, corner mai. Bye for now.